Welcome to the Drum History Podcast. I am your host, Bart Vanderzee, and today I'm joined by Mr. Wes Faulkner of Explorers Percussion. Wes, welcome to the show. I'm very glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Sure, my pleasure. So um, today we're talking about Zico Strums, which is... I would say a well-known brand in the like drum nerd community, but maybe to like people who aren't as interested in this stuff, they may have never heard of Zico strums, but it's definitely something that's affected through the acrylic drums. Really, the uh, made a huge impact on drumming. You know, back during the time, I think the very first time I got to see one of his drum sets was probably like around. It's probably close to around 72 when they had the newer lugs and stuff on them and everything. And uh, they were very futuristic looking because, you know, we're just now getting into more of the more plastic, you know, acrylic world. And uh, we saw them. It looked, you know, it was very futuristic, you know. Um, yeah. And seeing them and everything it was like a very new uh, type of material. You see something made out of you can see through it. And it was like, wow, you can see through these, you know, these drums and everything. So it was really cool to see them. Yeah. And uh, I remember... The most popular set I always saw was the, they called it the 400 drum set, which was like 214 hmm. rack toms, an 18 inch floor tom, and then the wow. uh, the deep long bass drum, and that was like 750 dollars and brand Jeez. new. That's expensive for for obviously for back then. I mean, and those are huge sizes. Um, but all right, so as you kind of alluded to, these are very early. Some would say the first acrylic drums, but why don't we? Um, rewind a little bit and let's talk about bill zikos the inventor founder of the company who this this was in kansas city you're in kansas city missouri so this was kind of in your uh the suburbs around you correct right yeah i mean like like i said before um we talked in the past that you know there's a kind of a dual city you know kansas city, missouri is a main metropolis but there's also kansas city kansas so all the big suburbs around on the Kansas side are really kind of suburbs of still Kansas City, Missouri. And that's where he kind of uh, settled in at in the early to the mid-60s where he did a lot of teaching with uh, a couple of the big school school districts there, like Shawnee Mission School District. And he worked with a lot of the uh, school bands. And he composed music that they played. And Bill Zico's also uh, worked with like little percussion ensembles back mm-hmm. then within the schools. He had lots of students. And they even did like sometimes halftime shows at the Kansas City Chiefs games back in the 60s oh, wow. and everything. So um, he kind of had a little thing he invented, kind of like uh, like four or five drum sets together. They did like, you know, uh, kind of a quartet drum sets. And uh, I think it was later on went to a UMKC, UMKC Conservatory that was, uh, they used it over there, over there a lot too. And uh, people would like, take breaks and solo away you'd kind of get them a little motif going and everything. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, Bill though, I was, a, I think a, mostly a big band drummer to keep playing the same, uh, hitting band and a couple other bands as well. And before he came back to Kansas city and, you know, he, I think he grew up in, uh, Fulton, Missouri, which is uh, not too far away from here. That's great. So obviously his background, like you said, as a performer, um, I'm sure he was like tinkering around with drums, but he, so you said he was building some kits for his students, right? Was that, those were not acrylic though at that point, right? Uh, yeah, not that I know of. I know that he had like a little small, where he taught drum lessons at, like half the shop was kind of mostly drums and and half the shop was uh, guitars and other musical instruments. Uh, 
and uh he was really into sonar drums a lot mm. and uh sonar was really he really loved sonar drums he played that's what he was playing for he you know of course came out with his own drums but uh i did ask him what did you first think of you know the clear drums and everything you know the clear drums would be cool and he said that he's like late 50s what he told me mm. but one of the first things i heard he started doing was he was ordering when he had his little shop he was ordering drum heads from uh Bob Beals, who ran, you know, Evans Drumheads, which is out in Dodge City at that time, uh, Dodge City, Kansas. And he was uh, special ordering drums. He was actually, I think, taking the coating off the the, the coated drum heads, which, which would then be clear because they were just, you know, sprayed. Uh, the coating yeah. was sprayed on the, the clear heads. And he was asking them to especially, you know, just send the heads without the coating on there. So he's one of the first guys that actually kind of, kind of innovated clear drum heads to a certain extent, oh. too. And later on, definitely was a big influence on the hydraulic head, the two ply head with the real oil in the middle, not the a lot of people kind of thought, you know, pinstripes and emperors sure. were oil too. So he had a big influence on that as well. Which I think, which I think made the clear heads. Some think might have gave him the idea at the time to go into clear drums. But he, like I said, he told me that he thought of clear drums back in the late late fifties and everything. Mm. So. You know, and and I mentioned it, I did an episode about just kind of broad acrylic drums, which we didn't go deep into um, Zikos or anything much on that. But I remember mentioning that, like, there's also the like whole thing where like plastic became more readily available. And uh, you think of like, I think of like skateboard wheels where they turned into like, you know, they went from being hard to like this more like, uh, uh, like softer rubber and it was all around that time of like the late 50s, early 60s. So I guess it's it's the materials became more accessible and um, he saw it as an opportunity, which is pretty innovative. It's very true. Yeah, I think I can remember as a kid, like around, you didn't really start, started seeing even plastic in cars like around 68. There might have been very little in it before that because it was all metal, you know, and uh, yeah. so plastic. I remember my dad got a new car in 1968 and he started sending the plastic. Then by like, you know, a couple of years later, 70 or early seventies and everything, uh, you saw a lot more plastic in the cars and, and taken away from the, the metal and everything. Yeah. So, so I always say, like I said, that's why the acrylic drums were looked very futuristic back then. And of course, I think Ludwig came out with their, the Vislites like around 73 was in the catalog, but they weren't, I don't think there were very many in the, in the, in the stores yet. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah. yeah, his drums were very, very, very futuristic. I think the first set he made, by the way, did have sonar hardware on it. Had okay. sonar lugs and everything. That's and, neat. Uh, I know sonar guys would like to hear that. Uh, it's always neat to piece together little bits of, of history like that. But all right, so do you know more details, though? Like that first time he was in his shop. I mean, I... I mean, maybe he's he's obviously more like uh, inventive than me, but it's not like you can just go out and like, you know, l- heat some plastic over clear plastic over a candle and melt it. <laughs> you know, like how did that process go? Yeah, I'm not for sure exactly how they first they made that first kit. Uh, if they were, I think they were doing it. It was pretty crudely done before they got the. They had a big oven, which was um, like a big pizza oven. I think it was like mm-hmm. around eight feet wide and four feet deep. And, uh, but I think that what they did, what they did at first, it was, it was very crude the way they did it. It didn't have like a regular, you know, obviously a full size oven or, or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
I do know that they 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 did make their shells. He made it. He had like a like these molds. He when he heated up the the acrylic, they went around the molds. So it's kind of from the outside around the mold. Mm-hmm. And I do know that Ludwig made theirs from the inside of the mold, but there's an inside. So um, interesting. But uh, but he did have in mind when he did his shells were they were a quarter inch thick. They were thicker than anybody else's, even in the future. I think. The Ludwig drums were like around three sixteenths hmm. thick, so he and he advertised that too. And supposedly he did get a patent like around nineteen seventy. So oh, and that was always advertised in his little pamphlets. You know, they they're they're, they're patented because they're so unique and everything. But, was uh, that patent on like clear acrylic drums? I mean, how did that work with like uh, Fibes, uh, Ludwig? Um, you know, various companies doing, because other, uh, I mean, most companies had uh, acrylic drums not too far after that. Was that a big problem for him? I think it was at first. And I think they did call Ludwig or had, you know, send an attorney send a letter to them and everything. They just pretty much laughed and everything. They, they said, you know, we don't, we don't, we don't care. You know, we're just going to keep on doing what we're doing. Hmm. And I think they did make, they made a few sets with Ludwig Harbor too. Not, there's only a few of them. Um, oh. It's because the first set was um, had the Sonar hardware on it, Sonar lugs. I think it had a Camco. These Dick Camco double Tom holders a lot. Yep. And um, one reason why too, because Camco was then out in Chinook, Kansas, which was not that far away on the Kansas side, um, mm. and they were pretty good holders back then for that that time. Um, so the first set was made for Ron Bush, you know, the Iron Butterfly drummer. Oh wow! That was the very first, the very first drum set, and then uh, second set was made for Keith Moon, and he used Slingland hardware on that Slingland lugs. And then the third set was a demo kit that was uh, had Slingland lugs as well. That was supposed to kind of go with the Bill Ward of Black Sabbath, but he never did supposedly buy it. But I think I did see him playing a clear set of you know Zico's there around the mid seventies. I think it was like the the, the Volume Four album. Man, um, because inside that album, he's playing a clear set of Zico's drums. But uh, those are like, I mean, I think there's a lot of independent drum builders today who um, I know it was different in the 60s and 70s. But like, man, I mean, your first kind of I don't want to use the term endorsers, but you know what I mean? Like your first guys are, are using them are, let's say, Sabbath and The Who, and we'll throw Iron Butterfly in there because they're, they're maybe not the biggest band in the world, but Inigata De Vida is obviously a part of like rock history. Sure. Those are like the biggest drummers you could ever get in the world playing your drums. <laughs> Very <laughs> true. Very true. And it's like, you know, like 69 was the, was the Ron Bushy um, okay. set. That was a you know, big Inigata De Vida drum solo. That solo there was... It had a lot of influence on people. You know, that was a, that was a solo. You know, I mean, Whoa. for for rock drummers, you know, back in the the, the four and the one, you know, uh, four, I mean, the four and the four bass drum, you know, thing going on and everything. Yeah. Um, but um, so in '72, then he had they got their own lug casing, so their own the, you know design and everything. But backing up a little bit, though, one little thing a lot of people don't know about Seacos um, is that. He had a little bit of, of a he, him and this the guy that had the other side the the music store. Uh, his name was Mike Wagner. He had a they had a, they, they formed a, a production company called the MWZ Production Company. They brought some of these bands in to to Kansas City, and when they came in there to the to the venue to play, which is usually this 
this place called Memorial Hall over in uh, on the Kansas City, Kansas side. He would bring a clear kit down there and show them the drums and everything. Mm-hmm. And that's how he kind of, you know, had kind of, I guess you could say, you know, homegrown direct advertising there. Yeah. And, uh, and a lot of times when they did this, they had these stamps they made where they would stamp their names on the drum heads, whatever drummer that was, and they brought the drums down there. So the this Bill Ward drum set is still around Kansas City. Um, oh, cool. And you can see, I, I've seen I've seen it before, and it's a nice little stamp on the, and there's nothing fancy, just a little of his name, you know, Bill Ward on the on the clear uh, clear heads and everything. Uh, so it's kind of cool. That's, wow. neat. That's really kind of nice homegrown, you know, playing. In fact, the first time, might have been technically it's, second but i think it was the first time that when zeppelin came led zeppelin came to kansas city uh they rented they actually played as uh, bonham played a, a zico's kit whoa that is yeah deep on so many levels because obviously like zeppelin you think ludwig but on top of that you think the amber vista lights so um yes nuts that's awesome actually they did, they did two shows um and I think the second show, not to get off record here, but uh, off the beat here, but he supposedly got he got really sick, and at the like, third, second or third song, he just like threw up all over his drums. <laughs> and one of Bill Zico's students finished the show with Zeppelin. Yes. Oh my god! <laughs> I don't know. I can't really. I don't know the kid's name that did it, but yeah. In fact, he was using it was actually his drum set. I think he was like this is before this is before John John Bonham was a you know big legend and everything. But he's like really excited, you know. Rockstar was playing his drums and everything, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, then John got sick and threw up all over the drums and everything. <laughs> so, man, you think of those like the stories of Keith Moon passing out from like horse tranquilizers. It's like, um, I wonder if John Bonham was like he had food poisoning, or if he was like completely partied out or something. You know? Yeah, I, I think it was in between shows. I think he was just, he was just drinking a lot. Someone said it was his birthday. He was celebrating. Uh-oh. But I, I think I looked at the date before. I don't think it was his birthday. I don't think it, that had any continuity there between his birth date and the day that they were uh, in town yeah. that night. But uh, I will say one thing too: Bill Zico's wife, her name was Barbara Zico. She was quite instrumental in a lot of the booking all these bands and, and stuff too, and and uh, and also working within the Zico's company and everything. So it was kind mm-hmm. of a that's awesome. Can we? Um, I just want to clarify our dates here a little bit. So. What would you say was the like, when was the founding of Zico's drum company like in the history of the company? If someone goes, oh, I love Zico's, it started in like Ludwig, 1909. You know, what was Zico's starting date? I'd say like 1969, probably when oh, they that, made that first drum okay. set for, but but it, it became Zico's Corporation though in like 1972. Wow. So you had all these sets, you know, they had ones with sonar, you know, that sonar lugs on it. Uh, then you had the, you know, the ones with, with uh, the few, the very few that had, you know, Slingerland lugs on them. But they also made some sets that had uh, the, the uh, Camco lugs on it too. They, I think there's like around 20 kits were made with, with, with Camco hardware on them. Those are very, very early kits. Again, it was like, 69 to 71 or so, you know, when all those, the uh, mixture of these different sets, different hardware, you know, was made. But another, the 20 kits that were made with, uh, made with that and them. And I think, like I said, a few sets I think were made with Ludwig uh, lugs. Then Ludwig said, no, we're not going to, you know, when they get ready to come out their clear drums, they cut them off. And then, of course, they had their disagreements with with the, the patent and all that stuff as well. But, 
Yeah. So seventy two, the corporate it became a corporation. I, and from my understanding is that one of Zico students' father helped, and he made an investment into the company. So he was like, you know, say stockholder or uh, the yeah. one of the big investors, and that was sure. kind of one of the maybe errors that maybe Bill might have made there because he let him have fifty one percent of the company. Oh boy! So uh, and down the road. Um, there were some, uh, some, some issues with, you know, I guess some conflicts with, with money, you know, they're like, they thought there was, he was, he didn't like with it, but the money was, was being, uh, used or, or some other type of conflict. And one day those equals came to, came to work and they, they pretty much told him they didn't need him anymore. You know? Oh man. It's kind of like the George way thing where like he goes home for lunch and then they just send him a message, uh, what is it, John Rashawn? They're like, don't come back from lunch. We don't need you here. Very similar to that. Yeah, it's very similar. And I think it next. That's when it became Zico's Corporation. And uh, I was told by one the the, the, the the good friend that works there, uh, named Dave Dyke. He's really a very knowledgeable guy that, that works there. He's kind of pretty much a very important person that played a, a big important part in the in the company. He said that they I think they bought like fifty thousand. Um like the lugs, the tension rods and the little claw hook, like they mm. bought 50,000 pieces all at the same time, you know? So there's a big, it's a big plus, you know, uh, as far, uh, as far as going forward you know, and becoming a, you know, regular drum company. And I think they were probably, I would say around 1974, you know, 75 is probably when they were at their peak, you know? Mm. Um, but I, do, I did hear too, that the Bill Zico is like late 71, very early 72 is when he left the company. But then he he was asked to come back though too. Once it became the corporation, he came back and later later on in '72. But then then he left again. Huh. So yeah, it's it's also similar to North Drums. Um, doing that story with Roger North, it was like a the founder leaving and then coming back and then not having you know like they need him and and all that stuff. Um, now on the Camco stuff. So this is I have I have two huge regrets uh drum wise in my life and one was recently where i was selling so long story short i was selling a camera that i had that i used for work like you know doing video stuff and selling it for like 700 bucks expecting to get 600 right at the time and i'm i'm a big believer in if you sell like gear or a camera, then that money shouldn't go back into like, don't pay your mortgage or whatever with that money. Take that money and like buy more drums or buy more. All right. I, I was going to buy a computer or like, or put money towards a computer. Then on Facebook marketplace, a Zikos set pops up that had Camco hardware that I believe he said was like 69 or 70. Say that we wrote early. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. There. And it, yeah. it was, and I don't think I have, I, I should have like screenshotted a picture of it or something um, just to save, which as I'm talking, I'll kind of look, but I kept being, it was like $650 for, I think it was the Camco hardware. It was, there was no snare. I'm assuming they didn't usually come with snares, but it was two toms and a floor tom and a 22 inch bass drum, I think. Um, and I was like, I, I probably could have just like, bought the drums and then taken the money that I sold from the camera and kind of replenished that in like a savings account. But I didn't. And I was like, do you still have it? I'm still waiting to sell this camera. 
Uh, the guy sold them. And like three days later, I ended up selling the camera for the exact amount of money that I needed to buy this Zico's drum set. Um, so I will probably <laughs> regret that for the rest of my life. That's um, very but, rare, for sure. Very rare. You know? Yeah. And I think they were in like uh, somewhere kind of middle of Ohio or maybe in Indiana. Um, and if anyone's curious, the second one was a set of fives. The second giant mistake I've ever made was I missed getting this really cool set of fives for like no joke, like $75 for the full set. Clearly Whoa. a person who didn't know the value of what they had. And uh, he said, you just missed it. And then he also texted me and said, I've gotten like 90 messages about this. So those are my two. And, and you know, you think about it every once in a while. You're like, man, that's Zico's kid. <laughs> we might get the chance again. We might get the chance again. Yeah, yeah it out. might come back up again. What What are those? Uh, we'll get back on like the history stuff. But what do they typically go for? Like that set. I mean, obviously, I just said. I think there was some scratches and, you know, it wasn't in perfect shape. It had the original bass drum head with the Zikos, but like, what do they typically run for nowadays? If you're trying to get your hands you know, on old Zikos, I think it's all over the place. I mean, again, it depends on what the person, you know, if they know what they've, they've got, you know, a lot of people these days, they look on the internet, they'll see someone's asking what they're, they're asking for a drum set. They'll, that's a, that's a price they'll think is what things are going for. Yeah, but that's really what people are asking for something. So it's not really what's but what it's it's not sold. It's probably still for sale. So it might be on the really low inside, might be on the very high inside. Uh, but I would say the average Zico set now is probably you know, and it's been in really really clean condition, maybe like eight hundred to twelve hundred dollars. And you might even find okay. some sets for around five or six hundred. You know, the thing about clear drums is that they can. Um, they're, they're they're they get scratched up pretty easy you know it's almost sure. like uh satin flame type finished drums it shows a lot of scratches very easy or chrome drums they look great when they're they've been taken care of and they're clean and everything but if you don't you know if you're, if you're doing gigs and everything you're tearing down setting them up tearing down setting them up then you know there's going to be some probably some marks on them and you get yellowing factors and stuff like that um zico's drums yeah. can have too much that but there is some there's a few plating issues once in a while. You might see like the, where the chrome might be coming off, you know, on the, mainly on the hoops or hmm. there might be some small little cracks. Um, like a lot of people back in the seventies took their front heads off the bass drum. They took their heads off the, the bottom of the toms and everything. But for clear drums, it was usually better. If you had a lot of tension at the very top of the head to, to have both heads on top and bottom mm-hmm. because uh, especially we had, you have a seam there. It puts me at the tension pulling from the very top side of, once to split open the seam and everything. And they happened a lot with on bass drums, even with uh, Ludwig, I know, where you get the tom-toms on the bass drum and they, they don't get the bass drum up high enough and the front, you get the front head off. A lot of times yeah. the bass drum would split open or something, you know, so. Well, it's like, it's like a guitar where if you have a guitar with like the strings off of it for a long time, it's like that's really not good for the neck. Um, that's true. I, I never thought about that. that that's, that's probably very true too. Yeah, it starts going their direction kind of maybe or if too yeah. much tension or too much tension could probably do the Zach can maybe, you know, bow it in a little bit, I guess too. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's, okay. there, I think some drums, it's just been how they're taken care of, you know, uh, they're in cases for a long time and not taken out for gigs a lot. They're going to be probably very, you know, clean. They're stored in the right places, but I'd say the average price selling them again, back it's probably like, you know, you know, X at 800 to thousand. They're, you know, pretty clean. So they're not a lot 
Yeah. Uh, not crazy money. I mean, um, one thing about the sale of all these drums and everything, too, like in the late 70s, I think like it was kind of clear drums, maybe because of Ludwig had come out with all different colors and everything. People just got, there was just so many of them out there for a while. I think it kind of hurt the, the price of them a little bit. So we mm-hmm. went into business in like around 1984. Uh, people were getting rid of like clear kits like crazy. And I think wood kits were really in style. Like, you know, Tom was coming out with their, superstar uh, kits and and uh of course the imperial star was more more covered kits but but they had you know billy cobb and neil purbs advertising all these wood drums and sound filters and stuff so people were just went like from clear to wood the totally you know opposite direction sure and um so we got we took in a lot of clear kits back in in the 80s and they were, were they were probably that's probably when they bust up the price of those drums were kind of bottomed out you could say hmm. but uh yeah it's kind of interesting You've made me feel better though about not getting that kit for because I thought six twenty five. I was like, oh my god, this is the best deal in the world. But it sounds like that's honestly about right. Like he did his homework. Yeah, probably so. And then you know you got the the set with the Zico lugs on it. You're gonna get all those other features too that he kind of like advertised, which is a big deal. Which they were kind of futuristic in a way, as far as at the time, you know, compared to other drum companies. You know, he had the bigger tension screws. They were mm-hmm. thicker, supposedly thicker and stronger and everything. Of course, only his tension screws worked on his drums. There were no springs in the lugs or anything. You had the little uh, plastic sleeves or gaskets behind the lugs, you know, to, to isolate. I mean, of course, no springs there. Then you cuts down all the you know vibration sound of the, of the springs and everything. The buzzing sounds you used to have a lot on, on the drums but, uh, in the studio and everything. Um, but, of course, they came with two-ply heads back then and they, yeah. when they got them going in 72. And uh, the quick release hoops, which was cool, which was very similar to the Miazzi drums back then. The Miazzi out of Italy was a kind yeah. of, the lug was very similar to the Miazzi lug. And, and can can you explain that quick release? Because I'm looking at the pictures online, and I think I I mean I it's if you see it, you kind of understand it. But how does that quick release system work? Well, basically, there's like a little uh, round roller pin that the tetramod went down into. And then the tension rod, you know, like where the, where the washer would be, it has that little claw hook, and that hooked into that little slot. There was like little cutout slots around the uh, counter hoop that it hooked into. So you just had to back off this, this tension rod just a couple of turns, and then you just pulled out away from the drum, and you could turn change the head a lot, a lot quicker. Yeah. It's cool. It's smart. I feel like I've seen that elsewhere and it's kind of uh escaping me but that that technology yeah Tama brought it back in the late 80s um they had a snare drum that they brought it back uh hmm. i think i think that's right 87 or 88 that's when i remember right um they brought back kind of a glassstone drum too that was kind of in a different concept they were kind of looking at other people's drum drums and everything and sure. i think they, they they brought it back again though and it was Kind of popular in some of their drums in the 2000s too. They they they're the only cup I remember that actually they did that. And uh, the roller pin, of course, would cut, could come out very easily too. You had to kind of line it up with the hole, yeah. and everything. But um, yeah. and it's, you had the curved spurs, which is you know before Ludwig had even had theirs out, which was definitely an idea from the Camco style. Um, yeah, for sure. And all the lugs and and tension rods work for all the drums which made it really simple you didn't have to have different links hmm. or anything uh 
or different size lug casings, you know, for like the toms, the bass drum, or snare drum. So they were they were all the same size. Of course, I had to stagger them on the snare drums because they're too big. Which and there's not a lot of not as equal snare drums out there anyway. So they use the they use the same claw and hook design too on the bass drum rims too because they had to use those metal hoops. So there's no wood hoops or anything. So now, why were there less snare drums? I mean, because when I think about it, I think like typically companies like maybe they make more snare drums than drum sets because people it's easier to buy a snare than it is to buy a set for the most part. Why didn't they make more snares? Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, a good, very good question. I don't really know why uh, it could have, it, 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 that's another reason why you probably could have like marketed the drums with the snare drum, get the snare drum out there and later on, you know, buy the drum set, you know, mm-hmm. kind of uh, motion on that too, but they didn't do that. Usually we saw his drums in the, in the music store, did the three toms and the bass drum. Uh, and I know that I could say, well, maybe because they didn't have their own throw off made or you know, their, you know, their snare strainer, but they usually use, uh, I saw probably more Slingerland uh, Zoomatics on their snare drums than any other uh, model hmm. used. But that's a good question. I don't know why the snare drums weren't, there wasn't more emphasis on the, on the snare drums because a lot of their tom toms were 14 inch they, and the hoops and everything. You know, they had to cut a hole for the snare wires and, yeah, and put a snare bed in there, and you get you know snare bed. A snare drum is born, you know. Besides, you know, getting the right throw yeah. off is picked. But also yeah, similar to uh, also similar to North, where you don't see many of the the North snare drums. Um, with these, and I, I'm only kind of using them as parallels because they're sort of independent, smaller companies that got bought up and then that you know grew and were were more home homegrown, like you said, right. North snare drums are probably more rare than Zico snare drums. Those are super yeah. rare. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, you know, the, the snare drums are one of the more complex drums to make too, in some ways, getting it right. Sure. You know, but, but, uh, still though, he could have done it very easily, you know, and the ones they have are, are pretty decent. This episode is brought to you by Dream Symbols. Dream just sent me over five symbols to try out, including the Dark Matter Bliss Paper Thin Crash in 17, 18, and 19 inches and two Dark Matter Bliss crash rides in 20 and 22, and these cymbals are awesome. They're dark, they're gritty, they're explosive, and they're just super unique. Beyond how they sound, though, they look like they were buried for a year, dug up, lit on fire, buried, lit on fire again, and then sold to you. They just look so cool, and I highly recommend them. Learn more at dreamsymbols.com and find them on social media at dreamsymbols. All right, now looking at the timeline here, so founded 69-ish, uh, 72, they became a corporation, 74 to 75, you said was the peak. So that's when they're just like, you know, what was there, what was the shop like? Was this still being, was everything, I know we were outsourcing like um, lugs and hardware and stuff, and I guess you said it, but they started making that at some point. Um, what was the factory uh, if you can call it a factory, you know what I mean? What, what was that looking like? I think they had regular, you know, drill jigs and everything for their drums, you know, to, to, uh, make things more precise and mm. take less time and be more accurate. And they had to, a lot, actually a lot of people that worked there, a lot of their uh, employees were drummers. You know, I've talked to a lot of people over the years. Yeah. I used to work in the Zico's, you know, drum factory for a while. You know, I've, I've heard that from a few people and, um, so it was really set up like a regular factory. I know that I think back in the early seventies, like 72, they might've been like maybe making four or five kits a day, but I think around 70, like around 74, 
it was like around 10 kits a day or so probably hmm. which was like on the big scale wasn't a lot for us that's a very small you know boutique company compared to what someone yeah. like probably what ludwig would make a day you know yeah but i did they, i was also heard that um uh talking to, to dave dykish that, 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 that worked there he told me that they they were considering they were talking to jasper and they actually for a short time period were considering making some wood drums for a while oh, so makes sense i mean they actually why considered not? it yeah they kind of considered it's kind of just to widen their you know scope on on drums in their market a little bit but uh it never did happen um mm. yeah now um like I'm always interested in this. If you're making 10 kits a day and the demand is pretty, you know, pretty high, um, how does distribution typically work for companies like that? Because like the ones I was looking at, that was in Trenton, Ohio. How does it spread around for distribution? Did they typically send some kits to major stores around the country or how does that process work? Yeah, I think that's pretty much how it worked. It was, uh, they didn't have any distributors, from what I understand. They had no distributors uh, in Europe or anywhere else, but, you know, just their own home office here in Kansas City. Most everything was made in Kansas City area. Only a couple of things were made out of out of Kansas City. So a lot of people, I think, uh, that brought them over, like, uh, I've heard of, you know, or is it Great Britain or Holland or wherever. I think it was just someone that was, We'd actually call them up and just order some drums and bring them. He brought them into, or they would bring them into their their country by you know by you know handful of kits, and that's how they got brought into them. So it wasn't like it was a very very small scale thing. It wasn't like a distributor, you know, ordering you know thirty kits or fifty mm-hmm. kits or something. It wasn't like that. I don't think it, it was never a distributor. It was mostly it was mostly stores and everything. Um. So he told me I, I kind of a funny story about Keith Moon. Uh, I, I told him he got his first kit. Uh, I guess when he paid, they, I guess he, I guess they had problems getting getting paid for the kit. I guess they were buying the kits back then. Instead of getting endorsed like they do it now, they do now. And I guess they called Keith Moon a couple of times. And every time they called his house, his, his wife would say, "He's down in, he's not the pub. He's, he, you know, he's not the pub. You know, called her again. You know, a couple more days later, hey, well, he's down at the pub. You know? Yeah. So it's kind of hard to get hold. It's kind of, kind of a funny story." And, that uh, is funny, but it's kind of a, um, it's funny, but I'm sure Bill was like, oh, okay, <laughs> like, yeah, need to get paid for this. Cause I'm sure shipping, I mean, you're looking at like putting it oh, on a yeah. ship. I mean, shipping was very expensive over there. It was a very shipping ship that, I mean, all his drums over there as well. And very, wow. very expensive. Jeez. Well, hopefully he ended up getting paid. I mean, and you know, it's funny too. Cause like Keith Moon, Bill Ward, both English drummers. So that pretty pretty cool i wonder how many zikos drums there are floating around um you know the used market in europe yeah it's kind of interesting but probably not very many i don't think it would be that many you know yeah yeah the truth it's kind of like how, how many you know Heyman kits are over here you know exactly i i i at the chicago show recently a couple months ago i saw one or two which they're like oddities almost you know it's like it's more like uh just you just don't see them um but they're they're really cool they're beautiful drums um so all right 74 75 you got a peak but typically with a peak that means you're going down after that so what what happened as the peak dropped off i heard they went to like around like they're still making drums that's like around 1977 or so and then okay. i think they were just like down to like 
just selling parts and stuff after that for the next few years, you know? Mm. So I, remember, I do remember seeing Zico's Corporation in the phone book here locally, like, like around 1980 or 81 or so, but I think they were just selling, just selling off the rest of the parts and stuff. But, but, um, so yeah. that's kind of, uh, you know, then of course, you know, Bill started making drums again back in the, you know, the nineties, you know, they come back, but, um, that's kind of going going forward. I guess the one thing you might want to we could maybe mention here in the history was the the, the supersonic drums and those uh, artistry drums back then. I guess you know Bill Zico's had a non compete um, agreement with uh, uh, the guy who owned uh, you know had the fifty one percent, which was I think his name was Fred McGraw. We can draw say any names here or not, but like that's Bill came out that artistry kit was was, was was called the egg drums. You know, that kind of shit like eggs. If you ever saw those or fiberglass drums. No, I haven't. I'll have to look it up. Yeah. And they're like eggs and, uh, there wasn't very many of them made, you know, I mean, like 20 or 30 kids. And so in, uh, reaction to that, they came out with that supersonic kit, which were the kits that had like, uh, I think a 13 to 15 inch rag tom, 18 inch floor tom. And then the other side was a smaller head, like 18 inch had a 14 inch smaller head. The 15 had a 12 and a 13 inch rag tom. Which were big rag toms had a, had a ten inch on the other side, so you could play both sides if you wanted to. The twenty two yeah. inch bass drum had a sixteen on the other side; it was reduced down. These were fiberglass as well, and that was a reaction to these artistry drums. You just made those, and they made, I guess, around one hundred, one hundred fifty kits of those, white, blue, and red, I think. And that Boy. was kind of interesting. You see them out there; they're kind of rare too. If you type in Zico supersonic drum, yeah, that. they're they're very. Um they're just interesting looking. They, they almost like, I'm, I know they're different, but like they remind me almost of like the, um, like the PV drums or something. Yeah. Like they're just like, they're just, <clears throat> like they don't look anything like that, but they're just so outlandish looking. It's almost just like, um, kind of like Jetsons. Kinda yeah. Like. It's like a Jetsons thing. And exactly. I, I kind of just explained it, but like, so, so you said you can flip it over and play both sides, but like, you could, yeah why why do they look like this and and everyone should just google zikos z-i-c-k-o-s supersonic and you'll see but like what is the benefit of of this i don't know how much science is really behind it i think it you know because it's like in a way it would be it make more sense to be other way the smaller head would be your main you know yes uh, batter side and the bigger head on, on on the bottom side for your resonant head but that was just reality, you know, what they, they kind of yeah. thought of then, you know. A lot of people look, look at those drums too and they called them the, it looked like kind of like an old washer, you know. Yeah. Like a Maytag yeah. so, washer, you know. I mean, to if someone's like driving and can't look it up, the, to describe it, it's basically, it kind of looks normal at the top, normal head, and then it goes down. And then I guess the fiberglass kind of bevels in maybe right. an inch. And then there's a rim that's like, like inset. But it's not flush. It's kind of sticking out. Like it's almost like it's sitting on top, but I'm sure it's connected and has like a an edge and all that stuff. But it does look like an old washing machine. It's it's it super Jetsons-ish. And it had all those regular uh, Zico lugs on it and uh, Zico hoops and, you know, the call, quick quick release, you know, tension rods and stuff. So that was kind of cool. The artistry drums did not. They had their own, those egg shaped, the egg drums as they call them. They did not, and those are really hard to find a picture of. We we've had a kit of those before, but I will say um, there's an Al Green drummer. I don't remember his name, but I think he was also BB King's drummer. Hmm. He's on a video 
and it's then the song's called love like and it's like la l dash o dash v dash e it's like 1975 and he's playing one of those artistry egg shaped sets he actually does a little solo it wasn't like what the soul train but it was one of those tv shows back then. so it's kind of cool to see that yeah. now can you just real quick like so z just to clarify zico's made the artistry series correct or was that some that was zico's right yeah that was him of course so that are set was really the the supersonic kit was still by the you know, Zico's Corporation without Bill Zico's. Oh, you know, I so see. That was, I see. Yeah, and that's where the non compete problem came in, where he said, you know, uh, you know, hey, Bill, you're you're basically kind of doing, uh, you're not supposed to be doing that, right? Um, so I tell you, some reaction to it, he just like made all these other you know supersonic drums, drums and stuff. Okay, and as a reaction, instead of like you know take him to court over or whatever. So I guess he wasn't really, you know, he was selling drums. It was, wasn't selling clear drums. So I don't know what the particular words, what the particulars were in the uh, agreement, but, yeah. uh, so it's kind of interesting. It is. What was the name he was operating under as by himself, not as Zico's corporation, but what was he calling himself or the drums? You know, that's a good question. What did Zico's, Zico's corporation? I think it was just Zico's drums, you know, because just using his name. You know, he only had like a couple, one or one, I think one store I know here was selling them. I've been in a couple of stores selling them because there wasn't very many of those drums, you know, sold at all. Yeah. So, I mean, everyone's got to be thinking it, the parallel to like Ludwig and WFL with that, um, with the, but he couldn't you know, WFL couldn't use the Ludwig name. So uh, they must have had a different, um, right. Good point. Thing. <laughs> and there was that lawsuit with them because in a very small print in that late thirties badge, you know, had the, you know, founder was, you know, William F. Ludwig. And then yeah. God. he got taken to court for, for having that on those badges and everything. For so I don't think name. Yeah, I think there's very many of those, you know, were made. Like, a lot of people there's a couple of them use those for like in videos later on, you know, like mm. in the eighties, like on MTV. I think there was some band I heard they would they use those. But that only video I've ever seen is that Al Green drummer. 1975 it's kind of it's a strange looking strange looking kit especially for it's strange and very strange now is i'm sure it's super strange back then yeah you know yeah that's that's nuts and and it almost seems like as the peak kind of dies down you said like mid to late 70s like 77 78 then it gets to where you were also saying about how people were just getting rid of acrylic drums left and right getting into the 80s so it's sort of seems natural like it just sort of ran its course yeah i think it's, it's kind of slowed down a lot i think when when ludwig came out with the tivoli drums the lights and he had all the different stripes and he had like you know yeah. like a, six or so different you know uh patterns to choose from they just you know they i mean how much and it was a crazy time you know it was very busy you know, in, the, in, the, in the mid 70s for those uh for this light drums and everything but i think they just kind of exhausted it you know to the, to the peak and by the early eighties, you know, it was, it was kind of, people were kind of ready to, you know, do something else. I mean, the business is, there's always a trend side to the music business, you know, and, and where it's the, the, the depth of your shells or the depth of your bass drum, size of the bass drums. Uh, yep. it, it, it's very trendy, certain colors, you know, where it's solid colors to, to burst or to fades. Sparkles. I mean, sparkles, yeah. you know, and stuff, something like when sparkles can even like satin flames, sparkles we, we started bringing males back you know like in the last 20 years and you yeah. get a lot of older people 
older drummers, you know, to come in the store, our store, they'll see those like, what's the big deal, man? We've already done this, you know, but (laughs) again, you got new customers and it's kind of like bringing, like, I always like, like bringing the bell bottoms back in the fashion industry. Yeah. Every 10 years or something like it's new people, new, new generation has seen it. So yeah, that's kind of what happened with clear drums. I think, you know, in the late nineties, you know, in early two thousands and that, you know, Bill kind of brought him back and, uh, when he started back up again and, um, and it was still kind of early, you know, and fives came back, you know, uh, with when, uh, Tommy Dan Austin, you know, bought mm-hmm. fives name and everything, but still wasn't really coming back. And then, you know, of course, Pearl's making clear drums, you know, Tom brought the clear drums back and, you know, D Debbie's making that too. And yeah. so, and they're still, you know, they can buy a nice new set for, you know, Twelve hundred, fifteen hundred dollars. You know exactly, so. exactly. I always, I always kind of think about it where I'm like, you know, you can get a nice high end DW or Tama kit for twelve hundred, and then you kind of got to think to yourself though, like, okay, it's plastic. It's not really a DW like collector series or whatever. You, you, there's sort of that like, yes, it is what it is. I mean, and that raises the question, which maybe you can shine some light on, like, company to company. And I probably asked this in the acrylic episode, company to company, Z-Coast, Fibes to Vistalite. I know there's different manufacturing techniques and seamless and inside of the form and outside of the form. Is there any difference when you're really playing these drums um, because they're just, there's not wood, they're just plastic? I mean, difference between different brands, you mean? Yeah, like or? like the sound. Is, is, is Z-Coast going to sound different than Fibes, really? You know, to I don't think, I think the timbre and the overall, you know, uh, sound is going to be pretty much very 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 similar you know because you got a very hard reflective you know surface you're using you have there you know unlike you know of course you got like those stainless steel drums that were just you know very they're metal that again they're very reflective too you're going to be a little more canny sounding they're kind of i think more thinner sounding yeah. but um they're very loud drums like the you know fives and fiberglass again what do you have they have a very hard surface you know sure um i think what really made a big difference in sound i, I think zico's with a thicker shell and his bearing edges were a little bit a little made a little more contact with the drum head weren't weren't quite as um lively and ringy uh as the uh like ludwig drums and stuff and fives fives is super loud too um yeah. you know and then later on when he came back you know, in the 90s and making his shells he had like almost a round over bearing edge and which made a lot of contact, a lot more contact with the head. And you could even put a single ply head on those drums then, and, and which is very uh, unusual because most everybody that had that played clear drums, when, when, when the two ply heads came out, everybody was, started, you know, was using those. You, know, if you, if you bought a new Vislite kit with silver dot heads on there, and you had the bottom clear heads on there, they were very loud. You know, it was a 40, mm-hmm. they had the muffled bass drum heads and things like that. So sound was just, you know, just crazy loud. So, but it wasn't, I don't think it was like a really big difference overall in, in between them sure. all. I don't think so. It's just very minimal. Of course, his again, Dico's had the two fly heads and they, 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 they could buy them with hydraulic heads too. So again, yeah. he was kind of, he kind of knew that, you know, that uh, he just slowed yeah. down the vibrations a little bit somehow. No, that's a good, good answer. And and I, I don't think we've officially said it yet, but just to kind of throw it out there for the, you know, the sake of history. And I know that it's hard to determine who did what 
first because typically, like we said, things are going on with multiple places. And, and we may have said this earlier, but is it fair to say generally that Bill Zikos did invent the acrylic drums? I think so. Yeah, I really do. I think, I, I, I think he was the first one, you know, that uh, made a very, I guess you could say, first home run and first hit out there in the marketplace. You know, they had him. I mean, you know, I'm sure every people was thinking about it. It's like, how many people were thinking about, you know, going to the moon, maybe in different countries you know, back in the day. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm being kind of out there a little bit, but I'm just saying that, I mean, I'm sure there's someone else thinking about it, but it's basically who really has uh, the idea, you know, and, yeah. and, and gets it done. And he really did it. And he, he did it, I think, in a good way. I mean, you know, we came up with all the extra um, features of his drums. And as I mentioned earlier, too, some of his lingo and, and you know, some of the verbiage in his, in his, in his, uh, pamphlets were kind of very forward thinking too hmm. you know he kind of says here i'm, I'm going to say one thing is don't mind me quoting this real quick single drums make a sound you haven't heard before that they put together thunder at your fingertips soft the heartbeat whisper or slick stick smashing sound zico's sound is a rich explosive experience and he uses the word organic a couple of times too hmm. it's or this organic um unity and the sound it's part of the tonal concept you know and and he kind of says stuff like, you know, you can breathe on these Zico's drums. And, you know, it's just kind of an interesting, you know, way. Yeah. You know, uh, really cool. Explained um, the sound of the drums and everything, which, you know, it's kind of kind of cool. Yeah. Kind of I mean, hip. It's, it's very hip. It's very um, uh, progressive. And, you know, we love that stuff as drummers. We like that. Like, you know, it kind of gets you amped up about your drums. It's not just like... Um, you know, acrylic drums, here's the sizes, here's the whatever. It's it's more like, you know, just, yeah. just thunderous drums. It's it's just it's really good um writing. Well I think the thing about, you know, Bill Zico's uh just knowing him myself, I mean, I know that with a lot of his students and everything, he was, you know, kind of had a, a very much a a lot of times that it was a, a father figure, you know, he's kind of a mentor. Of course he was a composer and inventor and great, you know, in drummer as well but um the drum he's a hip guy you know and i think he's i think a lot of that came out his drums you know for that time these were this is a hip drum company you know yeah <clears throat> so um obviously you mentioned a little bit about the 90s and stuff um I, i'm assuming that he had some fun doing it it, it didn't exactly it seems like it didn't blow up and become the next like you know pearl or something like that but uh, what happened with that stuff? And then maybe take us through to the, the end of his, um, his life. Cause he's, he's obviously, he's no longer with us. Correct. Right. Yeah, he passed away actually in 2020, uh, that's a year ago in January, I think it was like wow. January 31st. And he led to be like, no, I think he was 90 years old when he passed hmm. away. So, uh, yeah, he actually bought back a lot of the, the Zico's company, uh, the whole drum company was in storage, um, uh, at the the drum shop there in Fort Wayne, uh, and I guess he used to buy a lot of stuff from maybe some like the throw-offs, the parts from from them or something. But I can't remember exactly how it got there, but supposedly it was in storage here, and they had to they moved it to there because uh, it's cause it was maybe probably cheaper. And um, actually, I, I got a phone call from this is the guy, the, the again the investor that that owned. Uh, 51% of the company. He called me one day. It's like around 1991, 92, if I had room for 
but 10 pallets I said, not right. I said, no, I really do not. But, you know, but somehow he made around and made his way to, to Bill and Bill actually bought the, the company, all the remains of it back. And that's how they, they kind of planted the seed for the next, you know, generation mm-hmm. or kind of making the, I guess, uh, full trip around, you know, 360, you know, yeah, you know, uh, back to full where circle. he was at. Yeah. Made it full circle back. And so he, but he didn't make, you know, he used the, some of the lugs. But he, he started bending his own lugs with the, out of aluminum and everything and a can make and everything. They're a little bit, the drums he came out with then, the uh, stealth drums, uh, what, do you, what do you call them? The lugs and some of the hardware was kind of spacey looking again. Um, and he was making them down, this, this, that we call it the old Coke building downtown for a while. And he was doing everything by hand. He was you know, really working it, uh, pretty hard. He had, a, he had the oven down there. He, as well, the regular the, the big oven that they you know they heat the acrylics up with. He had that and the molds. Is going fully full into it, and then he brought his son into it, uh, help him out. He lives in uh, Canada, and he was a big played a big part into helping him out. You know, make him everything. But I think by the early two thousands, like around two thousand three or so, uh, he was just ready about ready to retire. I think it was just, you know wasn't really. Uh, ready to, you know, kind of go with the ups and downs of the music industry, which again, there's a lot more newer trends were coming in and um, inside to kind of call it quits. So I think there, he might've made a few more drums. I think, I think maybe his son did, you know, um, mm. up in, uh, like I said, up in Canada. And uh, they finally, he didn't want, so I guess supposedly he did not want the drum cut to be, to be sold anybody else and and harming the reputation of the drums or anything like that so they i think i why heard he destroyed the molds and everything why her oh boy that took, took him to the scrapyard so it's dramatic <laughs> it is kind of dramatic i didn't know that till the other day I, I, I heard that so <laughs> yeah so i guess that the story is, took a 360 then it pretty much you know Kind of put a uh, sharp into things there, but yeah, uh, if he can't have it, no one can. <laughs> it's try it. destroyed now. I heard the same thing was happening with, with tricks on drums too, but I don't know. I heard um, that too, and someone told me it's not. I, I need mean, a folkloric probably stuff. I, I don't know. I've been working on doing a tricks and episode for a long time, and I keep getting dead ends because people will say I can't do it. You need to go to um, and I'm going to mispronounce his name, but Ing- Ingo, I believe, in in Germany, but he he's not super confident in his. English and um, I haven't talked to him about in about a year and a half or a year, but people don't want to do it because they say he's the man. But I think I mentioned that at one point where, oh, I read that like the founder of Trixon got buried with all of his drums or something or he destroyed them all. And someone told me, no, that's not true. But I I can't confirm or deny, but I can just continue to spread that rumor. Um, Yeah, there's a lot of folkloric stuff happens in the music business, you know. But yeah, and of course other businesses for industries as well. Yeah, I heard that he didn't. He was kind of mad because uh, I think I heard like in the late '90s before he passed away. I guess he he didn't want to be able to you know make his drums or anything anymore. And uh, since it wasn't the biggest success, I guess he uh, supposedly had a bulldozer dig a dig a big hole in the ground. Yeah, he threw everything in there. That's what you know I've heard. But you know, yeah. Yeah, who knows? Not to go off on a tangent here, though. I, I heard that 
Ringo actually wanted to play a Trixon kit before he really? was Ludwig. Yeah, and he went to that. I think it was Arbiter was a big distributor over there in, in Great Britain. And yeah. he, he just got Ludwig a few weeks before that. And and I think I think he did see some in the window. Ringo was you know familiar with Ludwig too as well. He really liked him. But I heard her for a second though he was thinking about playing tricks on, so he still got hip so he got, you know, a bit more hip to Ludwig and stuff. But kind of interesting how that, how, how that how that how that would have changed the whole drumming world and history of uh the Beatles yeah. and everything, you know, to a certain extent. It'd been interesting what would happen with that. But Yeah. Man, the world would be totally different. Yeah, all the tricks on drums that'd be out there right now would be it'd be kind of interesting, you know. Yeah, but it didn't work out that way. I'm sure Trixon would have been extremely happy, and I know you know obviously Buddy played it briefly, um, but that's right. Yeah, that's when they had the Vox name on there. Yeah, Vox that. exactly. Yeah, they licensed the Vox name on there for a while. It was kind of kind of interesting. It's all pretty good. I mean, it's all good that he 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 chose Ludwig. That's a good yeah. choice. I think. It worked out. Yeah. Well, Wes, um, why don't you tell people as we finish up here, um, you know, I'm sure you do online sales and all that stuff. So why don't you talk about your shop a little bit and then we'll uh, kind of wrap up here. Yeah, sure. Yeah, we've been in business now, I guess, you know, 30, 37 years and we're a full line percussion shop. Uh, of course, we sell drum sets, cymbals, cymbal stands, all the you know, hardware uh, for drums, but we also sell a lot of uh, hand percussion, ethnic percussion from all over the world. We sell electronic drums, and we're really into cymbals, snare drums, and and things like that, which are part of our you know specialty as well. We got we have a lot of that stuff in stock and, and a very good selection. And uh, everybody that works with us is very passionate about drums, and we we love music and uh, love drumming. So it's ever yeah. always a good reason to go to your drum shop. You know. We, Appreciate everybody that's done business with us before. And uh, yeah, thanks. Thank you for letting me uh, mention that. Oh, yeah, for sure. And it's Explores. Percussion so it's X- and drums. Yeah. Yeah. So it's X P L O R E S, correct? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Percussion so, and drums. What's the what's your website? It's uh, actually that's ExplorersDrums.com website. Okay. Yeah. And you can type ExplorersPercussion.com too. That'll work as well. ExplorersDrums.com. Awesome. Yeah. And you're, you know, you're a dude who owns a drum shop in 2021, who I'm sure has been through some tough times over the last year. Um, but you know, you made it through and, um, yeah, it's been interesting times, you know, for sure for everybody as well. But yeah, it's been, I think some of our online sales has has definitely helped us out. We've been, we're pretty diversified shop. We deal a little bit with schools and we also do, uh, repairs, you know, and recovering and restoration of drums as well. And, uh, that's definitely helped us out to be diversified like that. You know? Yeah, so, I'm sure. And we do lessons as well, too. Of course, the lessons during the uh, pandemic was not very good at all. It was very strange. In fact, we had no, no lessons going on for a while at yeah. all there because all the teachers just had to do it online because, you know, everybody was quarantined, yeah. you know, for almost 14 months. But yeah. by the first of the year, we started kind of getting back into it. It was kind of about half and half. A lot of parents that people have like the younger players, they didn't, I don't think they didn't want put their child in a room with a drummer and it's all never human you know, that close yeah. up. And no, so and we still exercise mask a little bit right now if, if sure. a customer has a mask and all that good stuff. So, yeah, cool. Well, um, 
Then I want to also give a shout out to Mr. Andrew Moore, uh, who suggested this episode and got me in touch with Wes, uh, who Wes told me is a great drummer, but he's also a great dentist, which uh, is yes. those are two, two good things. Andrew's really, you know, he's, he's really is great dentist, a great staff. Actually, well, I'd like to say something about his father, man. His father would taught, I think, dentistry for like 50 years or so at the UMKC University of Missouri here in town, which is that's the longest teaching career I think I've ever heard from anybody. Yeah, 50 years. Yeah, that's 50 years teaching. It's pretty, it's a big dental school here that's down there at the University of Missouri, but that's kind of unique. But yeah, Andrew, yeah. Andrew's great. Right? I, I thank him for mentioning me mentioned this to you and it's been a great pleasure to you and you know giving me the yeah. opportunity to do this especially you know talking about i think uh subject you know zico's drones which definitely deserves to be you know talk about it and, and for sure absolutely and uh it's i mean literally we we first talked in august of 2020 and now it's june of 2021 so <laughs> like i always say these take a long time to just kind of like things fall off and then they go on but um and uh, congrats, your daughter's getting married soon, so that's extremely cool. Um, yep, I'm sure. next week is an exciting, exciting yeah. week. Just Thank stay out of the way. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> very crazy right now at times. Cool. Well, um, on that note, Wes, this has been amazing and one that's been on my list for a long time, so I appreciate you um, taking the time to share with me. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. If you like this podcast, find me on social media at Drum History and please share, rate, and leave a review. And let me know topics that you would like to learn about in the future. Until next time, keep on learning.